Welcome to the One Within All to the Interverse podcast. I'm your host, Chance, and today's episode is lining up to be one of the most uniquely valuable philosophical fusions we've yet done. For our comprehension of creating coherence and aligning our behavior with our core values, I often think of this show as being a type of MMA, that is, mixed mental arts, with diverse directions of investigation and a plurality of psychic pathways to a more complete and well-rounded awareness of ourselves, positioning our perceptions so that our inner world can most easily discern how all aspects of the outer world are its perfect reflection. In the words of the great psychologist, (laughs) psychological Gnostic Carl Jung, as listed on today's guest's website, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. The good news is that on the flip side, becoming aware of beliefs, emotions, and expectations that once lurked below the surface of your mind's eye, and most importantly, how those hidden cognitive currents have conditioned your behavior and limited your sense of free will, one can be allowed to become the director of their own destiny and experience life from the state of satisfaction, fulfillment, and perpetual flow state. And that's where our esteemed speaker today comes into the picture. Michaela Crandall is a multimodality guide to healing for body, mind, and soul. As a fellow practitioner of biofield tuning, it's quite an exciting prospect to hear Michaela's take on this awesome power that comes from the knowledge of the anatomy of our aura. And more interesting still is her combination of this skill set with a process called internal family systems therapy. Working on the premise that no man is an island and that each of us exists as a combo meal of a myriad of possible selves based on situations, IFS therapy allows Michaela to help rectify schisms in the psyche and diffuse delicate triggers for her clients, helping them to live more authentic and sovereign existences. And we have a lot to get into today, but if you are already sure that you want to follow up and find out more about Michaela and her work, check out AuthenticPathHealing.com. And I'm really excited to get into this one today. With the maestro of self-mastery and conductor of coherent energetic orchestras, Michaela Crandall, welcome to the Interverse, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. That was a beautiful introduction. I I couldn't have said it better myself. Awesome. Well, you could probably tell us more about who you are better than I could, though, because I'm very new to you, and this conversation is coming on the recommendation of a 
fellow client we both had. Yeah. So you know who you are out there. Thank you for putting us in touch. Very exciting. But yeah, I'm really interested if you can walk us through your story of who you are and how receiving these therapies allowed you to recognize that you were actually called to become a practitioner yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, um, as it says on my site, I started as a client in these uh, modalities and really it was probably, it was about um, five or six years ago. And I got to say my life was a mess. My body, mind, spirit were all disjointed and a huge mess. I felt like crap all the time. I was eating like junk. My mind um, was filled with chaos. My life was full of chaos. And so I got to one of those breaking points that a lot of us have and had to decide for myself that this was not the life I wanted to live. And so that's, that led me on a path of first, it started um, more with natural healing, like physical health, and then led me into some deeper work when I realized that my um, emotional and mental health were not going to be impacted just by changing my physical body um, the way that I was hoping it had initially. And so that um, through a series of synchronicities, I was led to uh, somebody who does IFS as a practitioner. And so I got some sessions with her and I was, um, it was really blown away by the impact that it had had on me. I had tried therapy years before and it was just, it never worked. It made me feel even worse and I never saw any progress in that. And with the IFS, I, um, there, there was actual processing that happened. It wasn't just digging stuff up and then leaving the chaos to be sorted by me later. It was the, the whole process happened in a session. And so I could leave a session with more clarity and feeling more of myself. And about the same time, I found Eileen, who designed the biofield tuning on YouTube. And I started watching a bunch of her videos as well. And it opened my mind too to this, well, to the fact that we are much more than physical and emotional beings, that we have this energy field around us that's also impacting and stores our experiences. So when you say that you realized changing your physical body and habits wasn't enough, do you think that making some shifts there actually did open the door for you to become aware that it was in the psyche that you needed to pursue work further? Yeah, I don't, I think I was, I, I know I was so averse to the mental emotional work that I had to start somewhere. And so that the physical side of things opened the door for me to basically check a bunch of things off my list and leave me with the psyche and the energy field as things that actually showed up as priority. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that they're such a deep connection with the body and mind that the <laughs> what I like that Eileen put into my head on it is 
your body is in your mind, not your mind in your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it really does work a lot more effectively to just go for the mind level. But as you were saying regarding therapy, you know, traditional therapeutic methods or psychiatry, the whole talk therapy thing, there's benefit to it uh, because sometimes we do need to make, bring something from the inside and put it outside. Mm-hmm. But I think the the big lack in those fields is the disconnect between knowing how certain emotional states or beliefs actually have residence in areas of the body. And it's not even new knowledge. You know, Chinese medicine has known this for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so uh, was there anything specific for you in terms of your physical health or recovery from injury that you were able to shift by starting to work on the emotional, spiritual, psychic level? Um, yes. A lot of the, I would say, yo-yo behaviors were fixed or at least improved significantly through the psychological and spiritual work. So um, the need for comfort through food, it was something that was really deeply programmed in me through my family line and ancestrally and through my childhood. And so there was this yo-yo of gaining weight, not being happy, losing weight, seeking comfort because I was uncomfortable, gaining back the weight. And so, and that was all, that wasn't a physical issue. It was just a, an emotional, spiritual issue manifesting physically. And so that's one example of, of how that impacted my life is that now I've dropped a bunch of the weight and kept it off essentially it's not i'm not doing that same yo-yo that i did since i was in high school that's a good example of how weight excess weight operates as a type of armoring because Mm -hmm. once it's off you start to feel vulnerable again (laughs) and i've even heard it said that like you know a tear shed for every pound lost (laughs) that there's emotions in the extra body mass that you know, you can't get rid of one without dealing with the other, at least not in a long term, more permanent sense. Does that sound right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's what I dealt with over and over again. The, there's there is a protection in carrying that weight and whether it's a protection to keep others away or if it's a protection to keep yourself safe, <clears throat> which they play w- within one another when you take off that armor by losing the weight, you become vulnerable. And so you you have to deal with the psychological struggles or beliefs that are in you in order to not backslide into the familiar, comfortable fatness, really. And it's not, it's actually, it's one of those paradoxical things because it's like, you're still uncomfortable with the armoring <laughs> and more uncomfortable yeah. in a lot of ways than to just there's so much wrapped up in like being afraid of what it would look and feel like to be more successful and responsible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, protection has actually been a huge theme. I, here's a question. Do you notice any kind of correlation to certain types of issues or what clients are wanting to work on? based on the time of year or like where the sun is in the Zodiac? 
That's a really, really interesting question. Um, and I've never made the connection between the time of year or in the Zodiac, but there's always themes. And I think a lot of practitioners experience this where there's um, a, a number of your clients will all want to work on very similar or the same issues at the same time. But I've never mapped it out to the Zodiac. Well, it sounds like, though, that it is a thing and maybe just looking at it in context with like what body parts are ruled by the sign the sun is in. You yeah. can kind of almost get like a preview of what we're going to be dealing with this month. <laughs> so for Leo season, as we're in right now, I'm getting a lot of repetition on working with heart and solar plexus level stuff, especially mm -hmm. heart, though. The theme of protection is huge like needing to feel protected or the um, boundaries needing to have healthier boundaries or feeling like one doesn't have a choice and having to relearn their mm -hmm. true the true depth of their free will so that's something to keep in mind is look at it in context with the uh where the sun's at in the zodiac and then there's of course a lot more to astrology than just the sun but those themes are real it's kind of cool to hear that other people experience clusters of similar stuff at the same time. Yeah, no, that's a fascinating thing that you've noticed. And I'm going to definitely keep track of that because it is true. And that'll just help me to serve my clients even better to have that extra knowledge. Yeah, that's why it's really good when practitioners get together. So yeah, mm -hmm. Leo is the heart of the Zodiac symbolically. And next we'll go into Virgo, which has to do with like the stomach. So we'll probably mm. be seeing a lot of issues revolving around sacral level, you know, <laughs> satisfaction versus frustration, all of that axis. Mm -hmm. Really cool. So I wanted you to maybe tell us a little bit more about how the IFS worked for you specifically, like maybe what it was like on the client side before we start talking about the modality as uh, more thoroughly. Yeah. So for me personally, as a client, um, I would say before IFS, I was pretty emotionally volatile. I could have big highs and lows. Um, one thing I forgot to mention, too, was in this the middle of this health crisis that I had had a few years back. I I had been on SSRIs for like a decade. I was full mainstream Western medicine convinced that that was real and over time i understood that this is just a band-aid that's sort of treating symptoms but not actually helping me on a deep level um so i wasn't always emotionally volatile it was i was a pretty happy kid and like very curious and joyful and it's something that had progressed i'd say in my late teens and into my 20s and so what IFS did for me was help me to sort out what my triggers were, why I was, why, what were the highs caused by, what were the lows caused by, understand and process the emotions underneath that, like what kind of beliefs, what, um, basically what time frame was my psyche stuck in that believed that that what was happening now was just the same trauma back then recurring. Does that 
Does that part make sense? Okay. Um, and so what I noticed the, with the biggest change and my family noticed very quickly too, is that instead of having all these highs and lows, I was having, I was sitting at a normal baseline and having normal highs and normal lows as instead of these exaggerated reactions. Um, a quick story too about my family noticing is that we would be at like big family dinners and then somebody would say something that used to be a big trigger for me. And I would notice everybody would just look at me and wait. They were waiting for a blow up or tears or something. And those, those reactions were no longer, no longer had any base. They didn't have any grip on me. And that's when I was really like mind blown that, wow, there's been deep healing that happened here. I can relate to that as well. <laughs> uh, it's interesting to this. I, I don't know where to fit this question in properly. So we'll just throw it in now. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed uh, or have a client's report back to you that their work, what they worked on and what they improved in themselves rippled out to like their parents or their siblings yeah yeah that happens quite frequently actually i've gotten that too where somebody actually ends up coming to me for a session because my daughter got a session and i noticed that the thing that she improved on i improved on oh wow <laughs> you know or vice versa but yeah that's definitely a thing it's fascinating how connected our energy fields are to our ancestors and descendants oh mm -hmm. i think it goes all the way into infinity both directions absolutely yeah um there's no just like there's no separating the mind body spirit there's no separation between us this it's the you know the idea all is one is not just some silly hocus pocus that gurus talk about it's it's tangible in real life in experiences like that totally that's the cool part about this work one of the many cool parts is especially when no someone has never done it before and they're coming to you for the first time for some kind of remote energy work and they get to have the experiential knowing rather than just an intellectual belief that mm -hmm. distance and separation are a mental concept. They're not, they're not real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's so cool. All right. Well, I want to know more about IFS. So a little, a little context where my interest has come in for this recently. Uh, have you heard of the work of a man named Dr. Thomas Zenser before? No, I'm not familiar. Uh, if you remind me, or I'll try to remember. I want to send you the link to when I had this gentleman on my podcast. He's getting up there and very close to retiring from retirement <laughs> because he's training people in his modality. But this guy basically learned uh, how to use hypnosis to speak with the fragmented what he called the ego states of his clients who were suffering from exactly what you're talking about being triggered by stuff having reactions as if the trauma was still happening that happened to them as a child and that if mm -hmm. the condition showed up again then they're right back in that regressed maturity level so he would actually be able to speak to and identify how old they were you know, what happened to them, talk to them as individuals in hypnosis and help them come out of the psychic shadows, so to speak. So the premise here would be, and I think I can accept this as accurate, even especially because of 
encountering this type of thing in my practice as well sometimes that these of alternate selves these fragmented previous versions of herself that get stuck actually live and exist as separate consciousnesses in our psychic realm does that sound accurate is that yeah the ifs yeah so can we expand on that and how what What's the history of IFS? How did it come about? What, you know, give us the, a really nice overview of this modality and what the, you know, the, the, the belief is in terms of what's going on with it and why it's effective. Yeah. So IFS was created by a guy named um, Dick Schwartz or Richard Schwartz. And he was doing um, some, I think it was clinical research. Basically, they had a bunch of teenagers with eating disorders that they were working with, with um, with therapy. And it was family constellations therapy, which is the idea that if you change uh, the behaviors within the family, then people will heal. So you're, you're changing the external family in order to heal an individual. And what he noticed, this commonality with, working with these eating disorder clients or patients was that he kept hearing these common words of things like part of me wants to eat all this food. And then this other part of me makes me puke it back up with bulimia. So he thought initially that he was working with a bunch of schizophrenic patients, that it wasn't just eating disorder issues. And um, he didn't do anything. He just stayed and observed for a while and realized that he also had the same internal conflicting voices within his own mind, which led him down this path of, of research and discovery of in, in creating the internal family systems model that we are all naturally multifaceted. We all have parts and it's just through these life experiences that these parts become disjointed, that there's no bad parts of ourselves, but there's just misguided parts. So maybe a, a part of you that got stuck in childhood because of a traumatic experience, you weren't, you did not have the capacity to process what happened. That part of you basically gets stuck in time and then comes out, gets in the driver's seat when there's certain circumstances that trigger it just just right. And um, these when these parts of ourselves are not in harmony, it can create a lot of chaos within us and in our external lives. And so he realized through a lot of trial and error that it was actually a process of getting to know these parts and understanding why, what had happened to them and why they believed or acted the way they did, that that's where the healing came in. He tried to control the parts of others and found that the consequences were actually far worse. And so he came at it with compassion and curiosity, and those were the keys to seeing people change. 
There's a lot to dig into with that. When I come across this type of philosophy, though, it rings very true for me because I am at this point quite sure that I've <laughs> I've run into some of these fragmented other selves in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the most vulnerable version of it for me was a four year old self of mine where this is such a interesting example of how this how they kind of lurk below the surface and how trauma can be suppressed that i basically this story is that i in my very early 20s had my first experience with psilocybin mm-hmm. and not intending to go on a healing journey it was kind of more in a party environment like well what the heck let's try it out but in the process of this uh, trip, if you will, I actually literally tripped and fell on my chin. I landed straight on my chin. And the moment that I hit the ground and kind of blacked out and came back to, I immediately was rushed in my mind back to being a four-year-old to a memory of when I was four, taking a shower for the first time without supervision and I was jumping up and down in the shower and I slipped and fell and busted my chin open. So that exact same kind of repeated experience brought me back to that ego state of the four-year-old. But then once I was in there temporarily, like awakening this four-year-old self, all of a sudden, what also came through for the first time since probably I was four or five was the memory of a one-off traumatic sexual abuse experience I had with a babysitter that I had completely pushed out of my mind. My family had, I guess, resolved to never talk about it again. It was, it was, I was totally unaware that it had happened. And then all of a sudden I remembered like all the details way better than you can remember things typically, you know, mm-hmm. usually you just kind of have the story of, of a memory, but I had like the order of events, the way everything looked like it was so vivid. And I didn't know at the time that it has to do with actual living psychic copies of yourself that have their own consciousness in existence. It was a way long time later before I realized that, but, and it was also quite a a long time before I kind of healed and figured out how to help this four-year-old version of myself. But that is a particularly potent example, I think, of how viscerally real this can be and how the specific trigger can bring up, bring to life the other selves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not an uncommon experience at all. Um, There's a lot of instances, especially with the physical body, where I've experienced and heard about other people that um, either there's chronic pain or there's some kind of injury that happens with the physical body that is directly related to some kind of unprocessed traumatic experience. And that's. what happened to you is, is, I mean, it's absolutely terrible, but all we can do as adults is to go back to those younger parts of ourselves and, and help them heal. Because a four-year-old doesn't have the capacity to process a sexual abuse experience. That's especially when they don't have the su- support in help from like parents and family to really process that. And so it's important that we come back as adults when we do have the capacity so that 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 trauma isn't just stored and keeping us 
um, stuck or keeping us in pain. There's a lot of physical pain that happens um, with these parts and just with trauma and stuck energy in general. And um, yeah, I, just, I can't imagine having that be that happened to me in a psychedelic state <laughs> as well. Like just add another layer of craziness into a really chaotic experience, but it was a blessing to be honest, because part of the psychedelic experience was that uh, I went on this like inner journey and I met all these like goddess beings and they told me a bunch of stuff that was going to happen to me in my future and the order it was going to happen. And it was like a huge, <laughs> huge positive experience actually. Okay. But, and it did help pretty, pretty quickly. I did start to figure out that, okay, this is why once I started reaching sexual maturity when I was younger and in my early twenties, I struggled to connect sexually and mm-hmm. had a lot of, grief and anguish over that and a lot of like self-hatred over that but once i realized oh i had this experience and this repressed trauma that alone was like a almost a relief because i could know that okay there's a reason why i had these problems there's not something wrong with me and it took a while though still <laughs> to get it all working worked out but um yeah i'm curious you know what's the process for helping that four-year-old or helping somebody's, especially when it's a a young child that you're encountering in IFS. So how do, how do you go about working with that other entity that's inside somebody? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, First step is making contact. Um, There's, there's a few different classifications of parts as well. So there's protector parts and then there's exiled parts. So that four-year-old part of you would have been an exiled part because it was deep into the unconscious. Um, Normally, when an exiled part gets triggered and begins to come to the surface, a protective part comes in and squishes it back down. So there's normally that the period of getting in contact is might be the most, I would say difficult or um, time consuming portion of a session because these protective parts don't understand that usually don't understand that there's another option that it doesn't have to play the role of protector. We have the ability to help this young child part that just wants to be seen and loved and cared for. And so there's a a process of building trust and giving this protective part an opportunity to step to the side and build trust between the parts and the client. And I'm there to help facilitate that trust because parts also like to interfere with things. So... We might be making progress with one protective part and another part comes in and starts criticizing. And we have to just keep that pathway clear so that we can get to that inner child and give it what it needed back then, but didn't receive. Yeah, and on a very simple level, if you know that there are certain parts of your timeline where you were highly traumatized, 
anybody out there listening, this is a great healing practice. You can just do all by yourself and it's going to be useful is give that part of yourself what it needed at that time. You know, if you were traumatized in your birth experience or didn't receive enough nurture as an infant, you can hold in your mind's eye, you can hold the infant part of yourself and give it love and nurture. Like it's very powerful. It sounds like imagination to, you know, maybe the uninitiated, not this audience, but your imagination is as real as it gets. And that's a, a perfectly valid way to help heal those parts and help make them feel what they needed. I'm curious though, when we're talking about making contact with protectors and with exiles, how do you make contact? Is this kind of a hypnotic state? Is it just through conversation and they say what comes up? I'm, this is the mysterious part of it all for me. Yeah. So from my experience and most of my clients, they close their eyes and really go into their internal world and it becomes some level of hypnosis. Um, and the key is, is in making contact is just being present with what's happening. Just noticing body sensations, noticing some people experience it as words that come through their mind. Um, other people, it's all uh, a sensing. So you can sense that there's anger in your liver, or you can sense that there's some sadness over your heart. And making contact is, is it can look like a lot of different things, but it's basically just being present. So that's something that's going to maybe vary from individual to individual. Yeah. Have you ever had sessions where it was practically like they were channeling somebody else as you contacted one of these selves? Uh, can you expand on that? Like where, you know, in channeling where almost something else comes and takes the driver's seat temporarily in a spiritualism sense. <laughs> um, have you ever felt like you were just having a conversation with one of these fragmented uh, parts of a psyche and the client says that it was like coming through them and speaking for them rather than them sort of intuiting what to say? Like, I'm wondering how visceral it can get. <laughs> I know it's different for everybody, but this is interesting. Yeah. So um, it, it just depends on the part and the client, really. Sometimes parts do take over. And so just like we're having a conversation, I would be speaking directly to the client. Whereas other times a client has what's called enough self energy, which is just this heart centered energy that they can be um, like the translator between the part and me and themselves there's this little triad of communication that happens i like that phrase self energy <laughs> because that's part of i think probably many people that do energy work especially that involves intuition or what you would call psychic stuff that i think a differentiation between those of us who do this type of work and people that feel like they can't is that we are willing to ask the question, what is this? What, what's the answer? <laughs> Give, may I have some guidance? And then something pops in, you know, we get the feeling, we get that we get an answer. That's the beauty of this existence, but that people that don't have a lot of self energy or self trust 
will get hung up on is that if you ask, you will get an answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And self-energy is in the IFS model is essentially soul energy. It's not a part, but it exists within every individual. And it is that piece of you that isn't, is never damaged by trauma. It's never fragmented. It's only ever covered up. So it's always there, but parts can shove that down for need for safety and protection. And I think those of us that have done enough healing work, we are able to um, call that self energy forward as needed to be a light in the room as people need in our healing. I like the way that you put that. The (laughs) difference I think that is key is that in this type of work, when it's like the most helpful and the least harmful (laughs) is that we're not giving any energy as healers. We aren't even do, we aren't even healing anybody like you call it. It's a guidance system that when you have that high level of self energy, that your presence just illuminates the space. Mm-hmm. And so the others there can see themselves more clearly. It's not, you know, you're not feeding anybody your light. And that's where a lot of us, especially those who want to be, or who are naturally empathic or want to be helpful. We get caught in the trap of feeding others our light. And then we start trying to feed, like feed ourselves to fill the gap or fill the void that we've created in the sort of expenditure of our life force in an unhealthy way. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a really important distinction between self energy and something else that I would call maybe like a people pleasing part that is in service to others, but to the detriment of oneself because there's self energy is an unlimited source it's basically you could call it source energy if you wanted and it's you can tell a huge difference between this energy of serving it to um or like giving your energy away to heal somebody versus just being present with self energy you're going to feel way different after the session you're not going to feel like you need to go sleep for seven days and um, and the client's going to actually feel the difference too. It's not, there's a depth to it, I would say, that normal energy doesn't have. Yeah, energy doesn't lie. And mm-hmm. one of the mantras I often end up leaving people with in sessions is, if it isn't a hell yes, it's a hell no. <laughs> like that's, you can live your life that way. And to expand on that in a way that I maybe don't often expand on it, there's, with the, the self energy is a guidance system. And there's, there is truly an unlimited reservoir of consciousness and light that we can tap into. And when we start to stray away from the path that our truest self wants, Because this is always the question, like it's the big conundrum of life, right? Who am I? What do I really want? (laughs) How do you answer that question? Well, one way 
I think is by paying attention to your vibe. Like if there, for, for me as an example, if there's something that I've committed to doing and as that thing is approaching, I start to feel tired, unenthusiastic, less and less stoked about it and about life. Like I feel like I need a nap, <laughs> like even though I shouldn't, that has become really, at least how my body and my spirit speaks to me. That's become a, a very helpful clue that maybe I shouldn't do that thing. And I'll notice that if I just bow out, do my best to respectfully decline, sorry, I've got to cancel whatever it is that all of a sudden there's a flip. And after I relinquish the commitment that was making me feel so drained and so tired and un, unexcited, all of a sudden I'm like ready to go, you know, exercise or like do something that's high energy. I'm all bubbly and, and electric again. So it becomes really helpful if you can start to pay attention to that because it will give you the guidance system on how to restructure your life and what really does need to go. <laughs> you know, if you're dragging your feet through life and working really hard, but constantly feeling exhausted and tired, and it's not like you won't be aware that something that you're doing, like maybe your job isn't really for you or you don't absolutely love it or feel aligned with it spiritually. But then there's more subtle levels where something has like pros and cons to it. And when it's a little trickier to know if you should do something or not, just pay attention to your vibe about it. You know, is, is it making me light up or is it making me shut down? And it do, that doesn't lie. And you, if you operate that way and set your boundaries around those type of parameters, you start to experience that self energy on a really consistent basis. And that's what I mean when I say like perpetual flow state, that's possible. But you got to sort of courageously know that it's okay to say no to stuff that might even seem like an opportunity if it doesn't give you that authentic spark. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a good perspective too. And, and as far as IFS goes in that there, there could be some parts involved as to what drove you to say yes in the first place. Like, is there some kind of people pleasing or, um, something that's going on that you feel obligated to fulfill this commitment, or is it something that you um you really shouldn't be involved in, like that you should take time and honor these parts of yourself that need rest and need to relax or need to take a step back, and other times um. Maybe it's just the nervous part of you that's like, no, I can't do this today. And that part just needs to feel comfortable enough to step back and let you move forward and, and, and go with something and fulfill that commitment. But it's all a balance and getting in touch with the different ways this energy shows up is going to give you the clear answer as to, okay, is this a parts driven? Yes or no? Or is this a self-energy, like soul alignment? Yes or no? Really good point. It's not always super simple, but the following of what gives you the most fulfilled hell yes feeling is yeah. definitely still a good way to go. But that makes me really wonder what you just said. 
is there are are these self parts? Oh, dogs are barking. Must be a package at the door. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay, so are these self parts really driven by only trauma and bad experiences that cause the schisming, or do you think there's a natural a natural plurality to ourselves, like potentially based on planets in astrology? Like is is my Saturn, is my Mars, is my Jupiter, are they all self parts that have their own identity? Because you brought up the people pleasing thing. My moon is in Libra and that's a people pleasing tendency that I can have, you know, that's right in there. So it makes me wonder if there's some kind of, if it's not only just trauma or negative experiences, but that we naturally have these self parts that are going to be there from our configuration at birth. Yeah, that's a good question. So my personal belief is that all of the, like our astrological chart ha- definitely has influence on us. It it lays down this blueprint of a bit of a baseline that we start at. And then all of our life experiences build on that to one degree or another. and. Um, not all parts are full of trauma and pain and negative emotions. Some of our parts are, um, are just happy. They, they, some parts enjoy doing things that maybe are feel monotonous, like folding the laundry or Saturn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not super familiar in depth with astrology, I do find it interesting, but I think those, all those planets and stuff also correlate to archetypes, which is another layer of parts work too, is that you can just come into a session wanting to work with an archetype and find that within you. You don't have to come in looking for a specific experience or a specific emotional trigger. There's, you could go into a session in theory going i want to get to know my saturn and see what needs transmuted in that that would be that is so interesting that would be really effective at certain time frames of life like mm-hmm. around 28 when your saturn returns happening 28 to 30 to yeah. check in and be like okay what part of my life did i maybe not completely develop discipline in <laughs> you know <laughs> let me disarm the the Saturnian booby trap that I might be going to stumble into five years from now, because, you know, my first time around with Saturn, I didn't quite get that all straight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no limit to, or define parameters that you can address these parts with. You can come in from really any angle and the, that's the versatility of the IFS modality too. I think it would be interesting if you could walk us through a mock session or an example session, whether that comes from pulling from memories of uh, clients or just sort of your process. I think people would really like to know more about how it all kind of plays out. Yeah. Would you like to play client? Uh, Sure. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Okay. Um, Is there... Is there something that you're currently working on or that feels right? Whatever 
entry point you want to use, you could we could go with your Saturn or we could go with an emotion or a part that maybe you are familiar with. Is there anything? You know, if I'm going to be honest, <laughs> I think my my strongest tendency of suppression is around grief and sadness. OK, that I uh, have a very powerful shielding around being like allowing myself to even know it's there or feel it. So sometimes, you know, that hits me in the lungs and like some constriction. And so that's a, I think we'll just go with that. That would probably be if I'm going to actually do this really. <laughs> OK, OK. Yeah, great. So just take a moment in and close your eyes and take a couple deep breaths. And just connect in with that area of your lungs that you feel that restrict or constriction where you know that grief is underneath. Just let me know when you feel connected to that area. Okay, great. How does it show up for you? What's it feel like? I saw like a black sphere. Mm-hmm. between and behind my my rib cage and lungs okay very great. clearly it was like there it is <laughs> yeah good focus in on that black sphere what happens as you just focus your attention there kind of has this like pulsing was like enlarging and shrinking, enlarging and shrinking, almost like a mm-hmm. rhythm to it. Good. And how are you feeling towards that black sphere right now? Just interested, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Curious about it. Excellent. Yeah. See if you can extend that curiosity to it. Let it know that you're interested and just notice how it responds. <laughs> like uh, a glimmer of a facial expression like flashed across it almost like a reflection on a sphere that had a polished surface Hmm. sounds like it was receptive to that is that safe to assume i think so okay great offered an invitation let it know that you're here to to get to know it a little bit and it's free to tell you whatever it wants you to know or understand about itself. I just got the phrase protection protector. Mm -hmm. Good. What else does it want you to know? Limit limits limits. Good. So it limits, I think it, it limits something that probably limits the feelings that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Ask it. See if, it, if you've got that right. Yeah. Yeah. What's it afraid would happen if it didn't limit those feelings? <laughs> I would cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Why it would act like that? It says that it has instructions to limit crying and that it replaces insecurity with like nervous laughter. 
Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think that is, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> it's a real thing. Um, it's so that I can look the way I want to look to others. Ah. Is it afraid that you'd be seen as weak that if you did cry in front of others? More worried about being uncool. Mm. How long has it been doing this job? I actually get the number four or five coming into Mm -hmm. my head. How old does it think you are today? Four or five. Yeah? Yeah. This flashes right into my mind. Instant answer. Yeah. Let it know how old you actually are and see how it responds. It says good. It's good about that. It's glad. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So. Since it is happy that you're not a four or five year old, does it feel safe to not do this job that it's been doing? It shows me an image of the black sphere kind of like melting into a pile of black goop. Mm. Was there anything inside it or behind it? Teeth. I don't know why. Don't know why teeth. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm really curious about that. Can you see if there's any information with that, with the teeth? I think when I was losing baby teeth, that it was upsetting when it first happened. Okay. I do have, often have recurring dreams of teeth falling out or losing teeth. Interesting. Do those teeth need to go somewhere? I'm getting belly. What needs to happen with those teeth in the belly? This is really bizarre, but it's saying digest. And I just got this sense about not chewing food well enough to digest food well enough. Okay. Is that that information that whatever parts of you are speaking would like you to take out of the session into your daily life? It's one thing. Okay. Is there more? I'm hearing help. Where is that help coming from? The back of my neck. Okay. 
but it's that's where help is being asked for. Yeah. Is it okay to go there for a moment? Yeah. Just focus in on that that voice asking for help and see what comes up. I see us like a small indistinct person on a snowy cliffside, actually. How close are you? I seem to be from the perspective of above and away, like pretty far away. Okay. See if you can come down to that mountaintop and get a little closer if if that part is willing to allow you close. It does look like myself as a four or five year old, mm-hmm. probably three or four year old. Okay. How do you feel towards that young part of you right now? I feel sad that it's in this cold place up high with no way down. Mm-hmm. See if you can extend that to it. Let him know that you feel sad for him and see how he responds. It looks very sad. My instinct is to reach out and take this boy away from there. Yeah, good. Ask him if if he's okay with that. Would he like to go away from that snowy cliff? Yeah. Good. Where would he like to go? The lake. Good. Take him to the lake. See how he feels there. Wants to stay there. Good. What is what does he want to do there? Go fishing. Mm-hmm. Let him know that he's free to stay there and he can go fishing as much as he wants. How does he feel? Very grateful about that. Good. Good. And if that little boy would like for you to check in with him again, let him know that you will. Okay, I let him know I will and that he can ask, he can get my attention too. Excellent. Yeah. Beautiful. So that was a a quick little interaction with some parts and sounds like you had a very visual and um, sensory experience. Yeah. 
it made me get teary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's kind of in a relief way more than a sad way. Sad was more intellectual. This is more how I process feelings in the first place is more mental. But that was amazing how fast. I, I mean, I didn't try to control any of that experience. It was all just right there. It's uh-huh. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beauty of IFS, too, is that it's. It's not complex. There's just these steps of guidance to get you from point A to point B. And in the emotions and the parts and the sensations, they all just come up very naturally when something's ready to be seen and healed. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. It really reminds me of times I've done like shamanic journey work, or mm-hmm. inner world exploration. Yeah. And yeah, how the, the imagery and the communications just come up like like you're conversing with something. You're mm-hmm. not making it up. It's like it's just there. Yeah. Yeah. There's sometimes people are afraid they're making something up and it is <laughs> <laughs> just just letting the experience happen is is um really healing. Yeah, it felt so. really good. I could, I think my rib cage opened a notch or two wider when I took some deep breaths at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the constriction aspect of how that's affected me was clearly helped by just that quick little walkthrough. Amazing. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for that. I, uh, yeah. I appreciate that. That was really nice. And that's going to be. I'm going to be revisiting that on my on my own. You know, I think you could even if you learn this modality, maybe guide yourself to this, too. Yeah, absolutely. And um, for me personally, I can guide myself through quite a bit, but I can't get to the deepest depths without external guidance. Some people can. I am one of the folks that can't. But you can you can absolutely um, just by knowing the basic outline too, get in touch with parts and start the healing process by building trust. Kind of like tuning. You can do a lot of good stuff for yourself with tuning, but you might not ever be able to find the kick me sign on your back without somebody else looking at the side of you that you can't see. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a good point to make our transition over to the second segment. And I'd love for you to remind people how they can find you online, what you are offering, how they can connect with you, anything you want to promote or any closing thoughts for the the first hour. Um, yeah. So people can connect with me um, through my website at authenticpathhealing.com or um, I'm on Instagram too. Just my name, Michaela Crandall. And any, the thing I would love to leave people with is that you have more power than the world has led you to believe and there's magic inside you if you are just willing to take a moment observe be present and be with yourself that's awesome (laughs) so authenticpathhealing.com and very reasonably priced offerings for people who want to even just dip their toes into this work. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I hope a lot of the audience does get in contact with you after this. And I'm looking forward to talking more in the second part and exploring a little bit of the 
integration between this and biofield tuning and whatever else we might get into. So thanks, Michaela. This has been great. Thank you. The uh, the little four-year-old boy says thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. All right. And that is another really good episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a topic I was quite intrigued about because I knew there would be a lot of crossover between internal family systems and biofield tuning. It was fascinating that a client was able to put me right in touch with Michaela, who has both modalities in her toolkit. And in particular, if you found this intriguing, I recommend you go into the archive not that long back, a couple months ago, where I spoke to Dr. Thomas Zenser about his work called Soul-Centered Healing using hypnosis to actually not only detect these fragments or other selves that are within people who have had traumatic experiences that caused them to schism a bit. He was able to talk to those parts directly, help them figure out where they were, who they were, and the current present moment truth of reality, getting the stuck parts of a person's consciousness out of their mm, <laughs> repeating, looping trauma experience. So those episodes really pair nicely together. Today's and that one, for sure, check it out if you find this type of alternative psychology interesting. I know I do, and I want to find out more. So. Let's keep them coming. Really good episode. Everybody make sure too, if you like Michaela and you might want to work with her to check out AuthenticPathHealing.com where her website is at. And her offerings are quite reasonably priced. I am definitely fully fledged endorsing her work and would love to hear from people in the audience that have maybe worked with her directly and more trip reports. <laughs> the end of the conversation in the free hour where she guided me through the process in a uh, shortened version that was unexpected. I didn't know we were going to do that. It definitely felt a little vulnerable to go <laughs> and air my internal world like that. But I also feel that it was an authentic and genuinely touching moment that hopefully you guys out there can relate to. I know that this type of thing might be foreign to people that don't necessarily consider their imaginal realm to have some kind of concrete existence of its own, but it does. And you can explore the innerverse. I mean, what's more innerverse than that? <laughs> the last 15 minutes of the free hour today, you literally saw my innerverse, at least a, a part of it that needed some attention and some love and some healing. But there's more to it than that, of course. It's mostly fun and sunshine in here, in me, I think. That's how I feel all the time, especially during Leo season. If you enjoyed the conversation and you want to hear hour two, I do recommend that as well. We got into how Michaela sees biofield tuning, her own experience with the modality, her way of defining it, and her particular way of finding the stuck energy in people's biofield. Her style has more to do with getting somatic clues, which I think will be good for people who might want to dabble in tuning to hear that there's many ways that you might actually 
work with the fork to figure out what's going on with yourself and with other people. And we discussed how the stuck parts of self that we talked about in hour one about IFS actually do exist in the energy field and in the body in different places. We discussed the birth story and how the foundations of how we see the world are built up through the particulars of how we came into it. Then we discussed how ancestors show up in the biofield and in internal family systems. Then an interesting discussion on the non-self entities that might show up in sessions, be they guides or negative beings or deceased humans that come across as demonic. We talked about Michaela's other toolkits and things that she brings to the tuning process, her tactics, very good stuff. Discuss the trendiness of dissociative identity disorder, how it's pushed by Disney, how it may seem appalling to see youngsters on TikTok claiming to have multiple personalities and acting like it makes them cool. But to have compassion for them, I really appreciated her perspective on that. And we also talked about conspiracy and how authentic conspiracy research leads you to spiritual work and vice versa. Spiritual development requires conspiratorial awareness. All really good stuff. I hope you guys do check out Hour 2. You can get into it on Patreon, patreon.com slash interverse, or on my Rockfin, rockfin, R-O-K-F-I-N dot com slash interverse. Patreon is quite a deal. Even you might call it a steal. You pay five bucks a month, practically nothing in today's economy. And you get access to the entire archive of everything I've ever done. The second hour of every extended show. Rockfin has a huge archive as well. Doesn't go back as far as Patreon, but it does go back for all of 2020 and some choice episodes earlier than that. It costs 15 a month for Rockfin, but you get access to the live streams while we're doing the second hour live, if it's a live interverse and you get the entire catalog of other Rockfin creators for one price of admission, not just me. And there's a lot of good people on there. So check that out. Definitely worth it. I know you'll enjoy it and I appreciate the support. You guys do so much to keep me employed (laughs) as a podcaster. And the other way you can support the podcast would be to get into Tippecanoe Herbs, buy some very helpful medicine made with intention and love from our buddy Kyle Denton and his family and employees. You can use the Interverse coupon code for a 10% discount, and that kicks back to me a nice bonus too. So very appreciative to Kyle and everybody who's supporting the show through that. If you check the description of this episode, wherever you're watching it, you will see at the bottom a list of other ways to support the show. You can get an AquaCure. That's something I've been using every day for a long time now. And I can tell you quite surely that I am definitely feeling benefits from the AquaCure, especially around workout recovery. I think that's the area that is helping me the most, but that's because I lift really heavy many days a week and it's making the bounce back very easy, not feeling the stiffness and soreness that maybe would come along with lifting weights for a lot of people where the recovery time, the days after a heavy lift are just like pain. I don't have any of that. I just feel good, loose and fluid and flowing. It's awesome. Uh, Check out our Telegram group as well. That's going to be linked in the description. Really excellent resource. You can 
ask human beings that have intelligence and integrity, the things that you want to know about in the areas that you're curious about, a much better idea than Googling shit. And I think Michaela has joined the Telegram group. So if you liked this conversation and you maybe want to connect with her and just ask her a question or let her know, especially encourage you to let her know that you enjoyed the talk we had today, hit her up in our Telegram group and see what kind of conversations might emerge out of that. That'd be great. So if you want to get a tuning with me, last but not least, I think that there's never a wrong time and every session just gets better and better than the last as I build up experience. I actually realized today with my client today that I have finally chipped away at the last little bits of unsureness when it comes to tuning. And by that, I mean, there's no longer any little inkling of a voice of like, I hope that this works or I hope this helps. I know for sure that it helps. I know for sure that it works. And my confidence level at uh, practicing this modality is just full 100%. And the sessions have been definitely reflecting the experience and the excitement that I have about biofield tuning. I love it. It's great. There's definitely no aspect of life or health or emotions or how you want to crush harder <laughs> in the world that we can't assist with tuning. So get in there, email me chance at interversepodcast.com or check out the website interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. And you'll see all of the information you might need to know to get a session going. My sessions run about four to five weeks out from the time that you send a donation to when you're able to actually get on my schedule because of, I guess, the popularity of it and the busyness of me. So if you want it sooner than later, now's the time. Let's make it happen. Also, coming up pretty soon on September, the weekend of September 1st, Labor Day weekend, I will be at the Bertaria National Festival hanging out with the Bears. There's going to be a lot of legends there. Topher Gardner will be there. Kyle Denton and his family, Tippecanoe Herbs will be there. Many, many other excellent and amazing people who are part of this larger community of the bears who like Owen Benjamin. And even if you don't know much about Owen or care about being labeled as a bear, I mean, I don't go as a bear personally, but I do love connecting with people that know the truth about a lot of things that normies, you can't talk to them about people who love homesteading, who are trying to live closer to nature, live in higher levels of integrity and truth and health. Those are the fun people who can also take a joke. I like hanging out with them. I'm going to enjoy this weekend at the festival. Um, not this weekend, but coming up soon. So I'd love to see you there. there w I think there is some limiting, limiting factors on how many more tickets are going to be sold. So if it is at all interesting to you, don't wait to the last minute. Go ahead and get a ticket. Just search for the Bertaria National Festival. You should be able to find your way to a ticket. And with that, we're going to wrap up this excellent episode. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to play us out with a new one from my buddy, Wisdom Traders, from a brand new album that he just put out. And I haven't heard the whole album, but this song immediately called to me. Put it at the end of the episode. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for being here with me. Much love. Be good. Be happy. Keep on crushing. See you guys on the next one.